So it's just past Christmas time, which the time of year for families being together and and the in the uh, terminology of the the Christian tradition they talk about the reaffirmation of communion the, the communion of the Christian church and also I noticed that that her majesty the queen gave her message yesterday on the theme of community. It's perhaps useful to spend time, some time considering what it is, what is it that we value about community? And why does it hold such a special place for us as human beings? There, there are not many people who can go off and live on their own. There are a few people who try for questionable reasons and then there are a very few people who have very good reasons and are successful at doing it. But for the vast majority of human beings, we live in community. And if community is functional, if community is working, then it's a great blessing. There's a lot of benefit from living in a harmonious community. Certainly, uh, the experience of spiritual community is unquestionably uh, beautiful and beneficial. Those of you who um, have been coming here for some time and know this community or perhaps know other communities uh, will have tasted the, um, the benefit that comes from community when it's really working. And all of us, of course, uh, started off by saying have come from the family, which is the small community uh, mother and father, perhaps grandparents and children. And so we know what it's like when it works well and we probably know what it's like when it doesn't work well. And so we could quite wisely consider what is it that, that brings about community and what is it that maintains it, what keeps it healthy, how can we contribute to it. Certainly when we see it, when we see community happening, the communal spirit, I think this is actually why I like watching rugby, because there's a, there's a community spirit there, you see, or, or, or an orchestra, or something profoundly beautiful about watching a, a huge orchestra playing and listening to it, that, the, the, the togetherness, as I said, with, with rugby, where it's not, it's not a bunch of individual heroes, it's a team where where people have to give up individuality. That's a big element to it, isn't it? Where community only happens when we are willing and able 
to let go of uh, our commitment to getting our own way. You can't play a good game of rugby if you're into being an individual hero. You have to be a team player or in an orchestra. Yes, you're playing your own instrument, but there's also listening to the other instruments. If you're playing the trombone and you're just blasting away there, well, you can certainly ruin the piece of music. You may be a very good trombone player, but if you can't really pay attention to other people, then you can't play in the orchestra. And likewise in community, and whether it's a community of the street you live on in Newcastle or, or the spiritual community like living here, it takes a certain willingness to see outside of me and my way. And when we see that, when we witness that, there's something very beautiful about it. It really lifts the spirit. It's selflessness. I think it's selflessness that, that inspires us. And somebody like, like Aung San Suu Kyi, who, who now the world at last is paying attention to again, thank goodness. Uh, but what is, what is profoundly beautiful about that, about her, is this willingness to let go of her preferences for the community, for the Burmese people. And maybe one reason why we find that so beautiful is because we know how hard it is. The, uh, what's easy is to try to get my way all the time. We like getting our own way. There's no question about that. It's gratifying to get my way. When I get what I want, there's a good feeling. So if we're interested in seeing how we can contribute to community, whether it's normal community in, in, in society or spiritual community, living in a spiritual community, or also people these days are part of virtual communities, which can also be uh, very relevant or very nourishing, using the internet to participate in a spiritual community, a sense of a shared aspiration, recognizing a shared aspiration to a goal, which is the goal of selflessness. And if we contribute to that, if we really feel we participate in it, then we get a tremendous amount back from it. I'm sure this is why people keep coming to a place like this. I mean, we're not a very entertaining bunch of fellows here. You come here, you don't, you know, we don't have to put on a show every night. But I think what, what people do feel is that they're participant in something that is oriented towards selflessness, a communal effort, There's a, a recognition of the value of putting aside my way, my commitment to my way, in pursuit of the goal of the Buddha's way, of the Dhamma. And so people offer, make very generous offerings to this community because they want to be participant in it. And, and when they do make offerings, what happens is that there's a, li- there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of opening. Depending on the way that they give, there's an opening of heart and an establishing of a relationship. And I think this is one of the foremost things in terms of thinking about uh, how we can contribute to building and maintaining community is looking at generosity. And it's the most natural thing. If there's no generosity, if there's no giving, well, then there's no relationship. And you can see it in all sorts of situations in our life. You can't can't synthesize, you can't 
synthesize community. You can't buy community. You can't just get a bunch of egotistical, rigid individuals and put them in a place and say, okay, be a community. Something's got to happen amongst those people before community happens. And what's got to happen <clears throat> is there's got to be a certain quality of relationship, a certain quality of communion, a certain quality of connectedness. And so one of the best ways of generating a sense of connectedness, of relationship, of right relationship, is giving, is generosity, which I would suggest is why it's the very foundation of the Buddhist path of practice and cultivation of dana. When we are participant in and contributing to spiritual community, then we feel the nourishment that comes back to us. And it's not so much what is given. You know, like in the traditional Buddhist culture, you, you never go to the monastery empty-handed. And it doesn't mean to say you have to be wealthy, but just take something, just take, you know, just take a bunch of toilet rolls. We're really happy when people bring toilet rolls to the monastery because when we run out, it's, as we do from time to time. And so it's not what's given, but the ability to give. Because when there's giving, there's a little opening. When we give something, there's a little bit of giving up of my way. A little bit of a releasing of the contraction of the heart, of selfishness and the commitment to me and mine. And an opening up in the possibility of relationship. And this is, I would say, is very much the foundation of, of community where people are willing to give. You see it uh, amongst children very easily. Where children... Children naturally know how to make a relationship with people. They just go and give something to somebody. You know, some, see some kid in a park and they, they want to connect with another child, they go and give them something. It's the most natural thing. They know. It's automatic. Children are born, or humans are born, with a natural sense of empathy. Empathy is, the, of course, the essence of functional relationship. And there's plenty of it in, in a balanced functional community. Human beings are born with with empathy, but there's something happens as we grow up as the sense of self gets established, me, which is understandable, and my way, which is understandable. But if we never grow out of me and my way, and we stay locked into that way of living, then the more committed we are, well, then the less empathy we have. We don't naturally and spontaneously feel with others. Whereas when there's natural functioning empathy, well then compassion also likewise happens naturally. Communication happens naturally. When you see politicians getting together or statesmen, you know, if um, David Cameron is going to see Barack Obama, yeah, they don't just sit down at the table and talk about business, they give gifts, they exchange gifts, they have uh, David Cameron gives Barack Obama uh, the collected works of Sir Winston Churchill, maybe? Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. And Barack Obama gives David Cameron an illustrated report of the Tea Party, Boston Tea Party, maybe? <laughs> Whatever, they, maybe that wouldn't work. But they give, so they give gifts to each other. It's, just, it's always happened. The Queen, the, she's got a huge array of gifts. Uh, this is what happens. If, if we want communication, if we want to live in right relationship, well, then giving of gifts is um, part of how we do that. So if we notice this, if we value community and we see the relationship between 
the ability to give and community, well, then, of course, we become naturally interested in how to cultivate it. And this is, of course, part of our spiritual discipline, uh, bhavana, actually investigation into the nature of, the dynamic of, what is happening when we're giving? What is happening? Maybe we don't feel so comfortable with giving, like we've just been through the Christmas period, and for a lot of people it's very stressful because they feel it's an obligation to give. Giving out of obligation is not necessarily uh, wholehearted giving and not necessarily very beautiful. But if we've got mindfulness down, if we're interested in this for the right reasons, we've seen it, community matters, the ability to give sincerely is part of building community and maintaining community. This interest takes us there to our investigation. How do we cultivate right giving? Not because somebody else says we should, but because it matters to me to learn how to do it. Well, well we just start with the giving that we're already doing. And so whether it's Christmas or, or like in the case of coming to the monastery, you know, people, people come to give to the monastery or then the monks, the opportunities to give back, whether it's like giving time. You know, the, the lay people come to the monastery and they want to meet somebody and so it's our opportunity to give something back. We haven't got many material things we can give. Maybe we can give out some books or some calendars or something, but what's perhaps most useful to people is to give time, to give attention. So whatever it is we're giving, giving food to the birds, whatever we're doing, we're always giving somewhere. So we can bring mindfulness to it. How does it feel? Maybe maybe we're uncomfortable with it. Maybe we feel embarrassed about it. But all of this is okay. There's not one right way that we have to imitate giving. It's rather bringing attention to what's happening at the moment we're doing it. There's a formal giving and making an offering to the community and there's a sense of, well, there may be discomfort about the ritual, the way of doing it. Well, that's very easy. You just ask the questions, how am I supposed to do this? And then somebody tells you and so then you you get used to the way of doing it and, and then you can just pay attention to how it feels inwardly and and maybe you start thinking about, well, do they like what I'm giving them? Or, and if we bring mindfulness to bear on this, if we actually look at it, what we're doing is we're purifying our giving. Because the reason we're concerned about it is what? Me. When, we, when, we, when, we, when we're confronted with a situation of, of giving, when we become clumsy about it, is because I get in the way. We really want to give. It's the most natural thing to do, a way of feeling good. You know, also when you have given and you remember having given, you feel good. It's just the most natural thing. The Buddha is highly praising of it. And yet when we feel clumsy about it, well, what is it that's getting in the way? Self is getting in the way. Me, in my way, is obstructing the spirit of giving, the beauty of giving. So we don't have to make a problem out of that. We can investigate it. And, and as we bring mindfulness to it, if it's a whole body mind, here and now, judgment-free quality of mindfulness, well, then we can discern and we can feel like, like, for instance, if you're giving and you start to contract in your belly, you can relax. Start to contract in your shoulders, you can relax. And All of these habits of the body, habits of speech, are rooted in habits of the mind, me and mine. And so giving is one very good way of addressing this commitment to me and mine. And... Even if we're clumsy, it doesn't have to be something that we feel is going to be a permanent condition. And if we investigate it, well, we can 
develop. I, I can remember clumsy incidents myself of trying to give something that, that didn't really work. And, and, uh, and then you try again later and you get a little bit better. And there was a time when I was living in Australia before I became a monk and I was, it was I just learned how to meditate. I was living in the forest and I spent a lot of time meditating and mindfulness of breathing and metta bhavana, a heart full of loving kindness and tears of bliss and, and just so inspired the Buddhist teaching at last. I found something that makes sense. I can really give myself to it. I'm just full of the love of life. And, and then it's coming up to Christmas, I remember, uh, and, and this occasion. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, what about all those poor people in the old folks' home? Is nobody going to go and visit them? And, and so I went into the local village there, Mullumbimbi, and I didn't have much money, but I went to the health food shop and I I spent the little money I had buying all these organic fruit and nuts and yummy things and wrapping them all up in nice little packages and then went round to the old folks' home to give them. As I approached the counter and then the receptionist there, and I, you know, I told her what I'd come for. To, you know, there's probably some people here who don't get presents or maybe there's some who don't get visitors and I just wanted to offer some gifts and and she just looks up at me and she snaps at me. She says, oh, yeah, just put him over there. And then turns away. She says, oh, did I ever get angry? You know, so much for my loving kindness. It completely went out the window. It was replaced with rage. I mean, I, I could have whacked the lassie. I mean, really didn't feel very good about it. And so, well, you know, there was some good in, intention there. But the thing to do was not to say, well, you know, you don't want to practice generosity or there was something inherently wrong with the receptionist of the old folks home actually I was a bit of a hairy hippie I mean I was a total freak in those days and I'd probably upset this poor lady she probably got shocked when I came in you know probably thought full of magic mushrooms or something I was going to poison the old dears in the old folks home so probably wasn't her fault I just wasn't mindful enough I wasn't mindful in the way I approached her and really wasn't mindful in what was going on inside if I was then I would have been protected so that when she didn't really accept my kindness, I would have been able to protect myself from getting upset. So we can learn as we go along. So we don't have to be afraid. And sometimes people will say with giving, well, I don't really feel totally generous. You know, so I'm not going to give until I really feel I've got a pure motivation. And that's, you know, that's understandable from a theoretical point of view. You know, that's what our mind comes up with. It comes up with clever ideas like that. And but the reality is that if you hang on to that clever idea, well, there's a serious risk that you might never actually develop the skill, the art of generosity. So the encouragement in a Buddhist culture is just to start where you're at and just start giving. It doesn't matter. Even if you hate everybody around you, you can feed the birds. You can always feed the birds. Yeah, the birds are cold at this time of year and they need water as well. They, put, they certainly put little fat balls out for them. It's a, good thing to do and and we can practice how does it feel uh, you know how does it feel are we getting proud well that's okay we can get proud we can look at pride when it arises in other words we do what we do and we purify the intention as we go along there's another incident i remember when i was living in the vihara in devon some people some lay supporters from chitter's monastery had come to visit and and they were telling me about how sick uh, my very good friend Kitisaro was. And he and I had shared a room for a long time and we were very close, good friends. And, but he was very seriously ill and, in fact, looked like he was dying. 
at the time. It wasn't getting up off the floor at all. And um, So uh, just as these people, these friends were about to leave, I thought it'd be nice to give them something to take back as a present to Kirisara. And there's not much you have, you know, and there's not much you can take. But uh, what I did have was a jar of honey, very good honey, the best Devon honey, organic, local Devonshire honey. And the thought arose in my mind, I could send this back and he'll be so happy. You know, he could just take a little bit of honey and his soy milk in the evening and maybe help give him some nourishment. And, but very quickly what kicked in in my mind was, well, I don't often get jars of honey and, you know, if I give it to Kitty Sarah, I won't have it. And so I got into this tussle, you know, well, you know, I've got this jar of honey. I could keep it. We allowed honey. You may not know. Monks were allowed to keep a jar of honey for seven days. The Buddha in his wisdom allowed honey as a medicine in the evening. And so we can't have food, but we can have a nice spoonful of honey in the evening. And if we get given a jar of honey, we can keep it for up to seven days. By the seventh dawn, we have to have either eaten it or given it up. So I thought, well, I could have this jar of seven, uh, this jar of honey for seven days, and I could have a spoonful every day. I could have several spoonfuls every day. But then I think, well, no, actually, Kitty Sarah is my dear friend, and you know, I really would be nice just, you know, giving this jar of honey. And I backwards and forwards, should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? And the pain, I felt really quite humiliated, until it got to a point where, anyway, the Buddha won out, and so I just more or less just threw this jar of honey. She says, just give this to Kitty Sarah. And I made myself do it. I just made myself do it and give the sickness. Thank God, that's over. I'm so relieved. And immediately I felt good. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to spend the next seven days without my job, honey. Immediately I felt good. Something was released, a knot, a tension. Me, the commitment to me, was diluted just a little bit. And here I am, what is this, 20 years later, and I'm still feeling good about it. That jar of honey would only have made me feel happy for seven days, but by giving it away... It's lasted for 20 years. Uh, that's perhaps not a, a totally profound contemplation, but it can give us a hint at the power of giving. You know, the, the Buddha, you're probably familiar with those of you that have read Ajahnindo's message for in the hilltop that's just gone out. He gave a little uh, encouragement about giving and quoted the Buddha saying, if you knew what I know about the power of giving, then you wouldn't even have a single meal. Meal without sharing some part of it. The Buddha is talking about the power of giving. We tend to think of when you give something, you lose something. Well, the Buddhist perspective is when you give something, you gain something. You gain the freedom from that contraction, the painful contraction of me. So often we struggle in our meditation and trying to get concentrated or trying to understand something, you know, the, the Buddhist teachings are clearly profound and you know, the best description of the best path to freedom that's ever been created. That's obviously the case. And yet here I am, after all these years, still ignorant. And, and we, can, we can, instead of benefiting from the good effort and the sincere interest we have in cultivating this path, we can be creating obstructions for ourselves by always investing our attention into me and my practice. I've got to develop more samadhi. And, and I often hear this when people talk about their practice. They talk about my practice in a way that I met is kind of embarrassing. It's almost like talking about their, you know, well, you know, my beautiful eyes. 
I said, well, I don't want you to know about your beautiful eyes. I mean, but, you know, when somebody's really vain and they look in the mirror or putting a face on or whatever, you know, going on in a very vain way, there's something rather embarrassing about that. Well, sometimes it's the case also when people talk about their, their meditation. It's a kind of, there's a vanity associated with it. And it's to do with, I would suggest, this overinvestment of, of me and my practice. And that's why in the Buddhist path of practice it's always founded on generosity. That if people are struggling in their meditation, perhaps one of the better things they could do instead of spending more time meditating is to spend more time volunteering. To contact a local charity and find out how we can go and look after some some folks who are lonely or or the local dog shelter or something. They've got some some poor lonely dogs that have been dumped on the street and somebody gave them for Christmas and nobody wanted them so they just went and dumped them on the street and they ended up in some horrible stinky dog shelter somewhere. So you could volunteer, go and look after these dogs, go and feed them, give the dogs some love and kindness and see what happens to the meditation. We can easily obsess about me and my practice and my concentration and, and my skills and my space and my time, when from an intellectual perspective that might sound very convincing, but from the heart dimension, what works is when we learn to not take ourselves so seriously, to learn to let go. And, And we can't let go, as we all know, we can't let go as an act of will. We can feel the pain of the contraction of holding on, holding on to my desires, holding on to my fears, holding on to my doubts, holding on to my anger. It's so painful. So what can we do about it? We can give. In a week's time, we'll have the forgiveness and renewal ritual here, as we do every New Year's Eve. And, uh, And what does the ritual consist of? It consists of people spending the evening contemplating the year that's gone by, and all the feelings of limitation that we've experienced from the way people have treated us or mistreated us, abused us, insulted us, and the pain that's associated with that, really to make that conscious, to make the pain of being hurt by others and the pain of regret for when we've hurt. And what do we do? Then we offer forgiveness, offer it with our hearts. And, of course, what we're doing is we're really, when we're offering forgiveness, is we're really letting go of our anger. I'll talk some more about that next week when, when we're all here for the ritual. But if we do recognize the value of community, it's something that we, we see as a real benefit for ourselves and for others. And then we see the connection between that and generosity, cultivating dana, uh, giving. Well, then we get interested in how we can purify this activity on whatever level. Every day, feeding the birds, giving time to the neighbours, or formal giving, which actually amounts to offering. Most religions have skillful means techniques where there's actual formalised giving or or offering. In the Buddhist tradition, at least in the Theravadan tradition, people always, when they give in an offering way, they always give with two hands. When you offer the incense, 
you don't actually need two hands to offer the incense, but you do it with both hands because it's a, it brings mindfulness to the activity. The whole body mind is offering. When you offer the candles, you, you light, offer the light to the candle, you do it with two hands. And so the, the whole body mind is involved in this conscious act of offering. And then when we bow, you know, we're offering respect. You know, I, me, ego contracted, smart aleck, puffed chest, shoulders up, you know, contracted, selfish individual that's so lonely and unhappy relaxes and bows down in front of that, the Buddha, which for us symbolizes complete freedom from the pain of selfishness. So we offer our respects and we offer light, we offer incense, we offer candles. And it's again, it's a training we can do. And some people will just say, oh, that's just some kind of Asian thing that, you know, whatever, that's not really got anything to do with what the Buddha was talking about. He was talking about emptiness. Or, yeah. <laughs> Well, you can practice contemplating emptiness and still be very lonely and very unhappy, miserable person. Whereas what might help is to loosen up the way we hold ourselves, not take ourselves so seriously. And one of the best ways of doing that is to develop conscious offering. Yeah. One feels embarrassed perhaps to do it publicly. Well, then you can do it privately. Do it in your room. Have your own little shrine in your room. Offer it attention each day. Clean it. Mm. Offering attention to the shrine by keeping it clean, by putting fresh flowers on it, by putting beautiful incense, some beautiful quality incense and some beautiful fresh flowers. It doesn't have to be expensive uh, orchids or something. Just some simple wild flower, something that's beautiful and fresh and, and to practice offering. Yeah. Even if you feel a bit silly in the beginning, it's absolutely all right. And my, my favorite story for this, as you've heard me say a, a zillion number of times, is when you're learning to do Tai Chi. You know, who started off doing Tai Chi and being an expert? Everybody looks goofy in the beginning when they do Tai Chi, to some degree. <laughs> in other words, we haven't got the form down, but so many other millions of people for so many centuries have done Tai Chi and qigong, and found it works. So we say, well, out of faith for this practice, I'll give it a go. So we give ourselves to it. So likewise, practicing formal giving is like qigong for the heart. It's like practicing bringing this beautiful healing energy to the heart to help, help melt the frozen solidity of selfishness. And if we can appreciate this, well, then, then even when we're not perfect in our motivation for giving, even if we've got some selfish motivation, like, well, I'm only giving to please them, well, there's still going to be some good motivation as well. So my recommendation would be not to wait until you're perfect. Wherever we find the path, that's where we join the path. If we have some inspiration for generosity, if we have some appreciation for the benefit of living in community, as, again, everyday community in society or the streets you live on or a spiritual community, if we have some appreciation for that, well, then... To dare to pick up these practices and to discover for ourselves. This, is, this actually works. But as we bring gentle mindfulness to it over and over again until you find you can just do it, it just happens. And those of you that have been practicing this way for a few years now, actually bowing is a beautiful thing to do. To be able to really bow in a graceful way, to feel your whole body, not to be worried about what anybody else thinks about your bow or... You know, maybe you're worried about what your knees feel like, but that's all right. 
You don't worry about... That's not the same thing as worrying about what... Am I bowing properly and does somebody approve of my bowing? Am I bowing better than somebody else? In the beginning, that's what we worry about. But as we bring mindfulness to our bowing, as we bring mindfulness to our offering, we purify it. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Sadhu <laughs>